Well, hey, well, I want to extend my welcome. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm part of the staff team here. Uh, and it's such a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our series in Titus. Um, we're going to be looking at the final chapter. And um, Sarah and Jago did a fantastic, uh, fantastic job of opening up Titus 1 and 2 over the last two weeks. Um, looking at our leaders, looking at ourselves. Um, and today we're going to look at us, uh, kind of us as a whole, corporately, but also... Um, we're going to be looking further afield beyond our walls today. Uh, so we've seen in the letter uh, already to Titus uh, that it's all about making the gospel central in everyday life and that it is being taught. That's kind of Paul's main message. Teach the gospel. Make sure it's at the center. Um, first century Crete is where we find ourselves. And um, it's a place actually uh, that didn't have the gospel at the center of everyday life. Um, there were people adding things to the gospel. And in, as we heard in, verse, uh, sorry, in chapter one, the, the Cretans were lazy, gluttonous, and liars. Uh, and, you know, they were chasing the wrong things. It sounds slightly similar to 21st century Clapham and London. So the question is, how can we be Jesus followers in a harsh, dishonest, brash, selfish culture that's full of hashtag fake news. How can we be set apart today? Well, Sarah, as we said, she showed us last week how this looks uh, kind of within the church family, but how does it look out there beyond these walls? How does it look when you arrive at work tomorrow morning? How does it look in the coffee shop? How does it look to be a Jesus follower? Let's jump in. Titus 3, it's at the end of uh, your pew. Um, if you've brought your Bible, open it up. If you've not got it, it's going to appear behind me on the screen. But Titus 3. Titus 3, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. And when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to, spend Zenus, uh, to send Zenus the lawyer uh, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to do good works so as to help in urgent cases of need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. 
Should we pray? Father, we come before you now and we just ask you to have your way. Lord, we open our hearts and we open our ears. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear what it is that you have for us today. Lord, would the words that I speak be of you? Would all that I do bring glory to you? Father, would this word change us? Would it challenge us? Would it spur us on for your kingdom? And Father, we pray finally for your blessing of your hand upon each member of the England squad out in Russia right now as they prepare. And we pray for victory in your name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, everybody said, amen. Prayer works, prayer works. Uh, I want to talk about mold. Not mold as in sort of blue cheese or kind of gone off fruit, but a mold. Um, I want to talk about a casing, something that has liquid poured into it, becomes hard, you pop out in the middle and you, know, you get ice, for instance. Um, if you play rugby, you often get a mould of your teeth done for, for a gum shield uh, so that, you know, to protect them. And for here for work, uh, I got a mould of the inside of my ears done um, for my in-ear monitors. Uh, here they are. It's a little, little small kind of grey blob, but it's the perfect fit to the inside. Uh, of my ear. What they do is they put a little bit of cotton uh, on a string just against my, my eardrum and then they basically pour in custard. It sets, gets hard and they pull it out. And there is the perfect mold of, of the inside of my ear. And I wear it so that it kind of blocks out external noise uh, and so I can hear the band clearly. Now if I gave you my innies to wear, uh, or if I gave you a gum shield, a mold of my teeth uh, for you to wear, they probably wouldn't fit. Uh, and vice versa, if I took something that was moulded to you, it, it, it wouldn't fit. Uh, you see, there aren't always things that are a one-size-fits-all. You see, the world around us, Clapham, London, the UK, it, it has a mould. It has a mould. Uh, and we see it all the time. We see it in advertising, we see it in film, we see it in our neighbours, uh, we see it on Instagram. In it gets poured power, success, striving, lust, filters, self, and boom, out pops the 21st century person. However, this mold that the world projects is, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Actually, to, to, to get into this mold hurts. All of these things, they pinch and they squeeze. It's actually not a mold that any of us are intended to fit into. And if you call yourself a Jesus follower here today, if you call yourself a Christian, I'm afraid you won't fit into that mold. It's a mold that isn't meant for us. It's not designed for us. The world tries its best to push us in it. But we've been shown a different mold. This is what Paul is saying uh, in Titus, in verse 3. He's he's reminding Titus. He says, this is where you've come from. He points them back. Let's have a read. Verse 3, he says, for we ourselves, that's Paul included, It says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He's saying, Paul, do you remember where you come from? He's he's crying out to the churches in Crete, don't forget where you've come from. You don't want to go back to the old mold that you were in before. You don't want to go back to that old Cretan mold. And what was in it? Foolishness 
disobedience, worldly passions, etc. It's as if Paul is grabbing Titus by the scruff of the neck and is saying, come on, wake up. Don't go back. Don't conform to the mold of the world. Don't go back to that Cretan way, which in chapter 1 says is laziness, it's lies, it's gluttony. He says, don't go back. Thankfully, Paul, he doesn't end there. Verse 4 comes around and it says, but, how many of you know when you see but after a passage like verse 3, you know it's a good but. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul reminds the church in Crete that it's all about the gospel. And funnily enough, the gospel mold is actually a one-size-fits-all. However, you have to allow yourself to be molded. You have to allow yourself to be washed out and renewed out of the old mold of the world so that Jesus can remold us back into the new mold. It's a mold that is set for us. It's the mold that we are supposed to be fitted into. Paul, all let along, has been telling Titus, keep the gospel at the center. Keep it there. Keep it at the center of your lives and all that you do. And that's a message for us today. You know, we, we need to hear the gospel again and again and again. Why? Because it is the greatest news that we will ever hear. It's a message for everybody. It's something that when you jump in and say yes to Jesus, it changes your life forever. You go from death to life. It is the best news. And I'm afraid here at HCC, we're never going to stop sharing it. Why wouldn't we retell the gospel? This is what Paul refers to in verse 8 when he says, I want you to insist on these things. One translation says stress. It's something that is supposed to be retold again and again and again. And the things in the passage, it's the gospel. Titus and us today are to never stop. That's why we run Alpha every term. That's why we've got the Cuppin Sunday coming up next week. Because we want more people to hear the good news of Jesus. Amen? You know, I don't, I don't mind or care if, if that's all we're known for. For people who stand up in this day and age, in this community and say, we're never going to stop sharing the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. That's who we are at the very center of our church. Paul, he wants to get that message across, that they're not to go back and conform, but to be set apart. And that's something that we need to choose and accept day by day. We need to come before our Father and say, yes, I'm stepping in, I'm choosing you, I am accepting you, I am being remolded by you day by day. It's been said that the local church uh, is the hope of the world, and that is so true. But we can't be a force for good in this world if we look like the culture around us, if we're not willing to be remolded and reshaped. So, so how do we stand apart from society, from culture? Now that we've accepted the transformational power of the gospel, what do we have to do? Well, verse 8 tells us. It says we are to devote ourselves to good works. Three times in this passage, uh, Paul mentions good works. Firstly in verse 1, then again in verse 8, and then at the very end in verse 14. In fact, good works happens to be a theme that runs throughout the entirety of Titus. 
Um, Titus chapter 2, verse 24, Paul, he's speaking about Jesus. He says, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 116, Paul speaks of the false teachers. He says, they, are, uh, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then finally, chapter 2-7, Paul, uh, he speaks to Titus directly. He says, Titus was supposed to be an example. 2 verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. So good works is something that we're supposed to do. We're not to neglect. But I just want to stop right there and say that it is not by our works that we're saved. It's not by what we do that makes us a Christian. Verses 4 and 5 thankfully cover that. Read with me again, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit, whom he poured out uh, on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Did you see it? Did you spot it at the beginning of that passage? It's not because of works done by us. He saved us not because of our works, but according to his own mercy. One translation, it says, we had nothing to do with it. There's nothing we could do to ever change that. It's all because of Christ's death on the cross. So we are not saved by our works, but saved for good works. It's not by our good works, but for our good works. Take uh, William Wilberforce, for example. We know him uh, as the guy who, who paved the way for the, the ending and the abolition of the slave trades who worshipped here along with the Clapham sect. Um, and, you know, we get lots of people come and they come and see him because of all of the great things that he did. But he wasn't a Christian because he saw that bill passed. Uh, he wasn't a Christian because of all the hard work that went into it. It was whilst he was on holiday, before all of that started, it was whilst he was on holiday that he read the New Testament and he uttered the words, what infinite love that Christ should die to save such a sinner and how necessary it is. What infinite love that Christ should die to save such a sinner and how necessary it is. That was years before the Clapham sex. That was years before the work had even started. It was being changed and transformed by the gospel that spurred Wilberforce on to do those good works. It didn't define who he was by his good works, but he was defined by Christ. We're saved for good works. As verse 8 continues, it is excellent and profitable for all people. This is how we can be set apart. You know, Jesus, he spent his three years of ministry going around, doing good works, and people were able to encounter him and enter into his story and be transformed. Jesus gave the disciples a new commandment in John 13 to love one another. And by that, people would know that they belong to him. And that's the same for us today. How do we go about loving one another? By doing good works. By being ready to extend a hand. By going that extra mile, by putting others before ourselves. And we're going to stick out like a massive sore thumb, but in a really good way if we go around doing good works in a harsh, self-focused society. Verse 1 is a call to be ready. 
to be on the lookout for where we can do good, to be the Good Samaritan, available to extend a hand at any moment. Uh, volunteering at something like Robes, is, uh, our winter shelter, is such a fantastic example, but it can be even more mundane. It can be helping your neighbour move house. It can be helping uh, someone on your road with the gardening. It can be uh, you know, picking someone's kids up. It could be whatever it is, doing good works, putting someone else before ourselves. Paul continues in verse 2 by going further into Christian living. Uh, and he gives us a few helpful kind of do's and don'ts. He says, we are to speak evil of no one. That might be avoiding gossip in the workplace. That might be uh, avoiding backchatting somebody. We're to avoid quarreling. You know, maybe we, we need to try listening before we speak. Maybe we need to forgive that person that we haven't yet forgiven. We're to, be, uh, we're to be gentle, show perfect courtesy towards all people. This is putting others before ourselves. This is putting us uh, out there for others. It's not being brash. It's not pushing people around. And then we're to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And that's in every sphere, at work, at home, here at church. We're to respect and honor our leaders. And I think this is probably the most challenging one in our day today. In a world that is full of all sorts of opinions, all sorts of strong characters, uh, a, a culture that is, you know, I'm going to work for myself because no one else is, and it's all about me. I think this is so important. Maybe that's why Paul puts it right at the beginning. Maybe he doesn't want us to miss it. Paul wants us to show respect, to follow and be obedient to our leaders as well. These two things... They might be some of the biggest ways that we can point people in our spheres to Jesus. If you're stuck for, uh, for striking up a conversation about the gospel or you don't know where to start, let's do these things. Because suddenly people are going to start asking us the questions. They're going to be saying, you're different. There's something about you. you. You don't kind of slag off the boss. You don't say those nasty things. And no, that isn't a, a retelling of a conversation in our office. Respecting and following our leaders is so important. It helps others see who Jesus is. It lets people see that they need to be remolded. It, it helps people to say, this is, who I'm, this is not who I'm supposed to be. I need to be transformed. The longer we follow Jesus, uh, the more these things will become a second nature. But the reality is we'll get things wrong. The reality is we'll do some of the things that Paul says maybe we shouldn't do. And that's where we need to humbly come before our Father in heaven and say, Lord, remold me, reshape me. At the end of the passage in Paul's sign-off, he reminds Titus that the church needs to be ready to devote themselves for good works. Uh, he says they are to do so to help in urgent cases and so that they won't become unfruitful. So what are the urgent cases that we face today? Well, it's social justice issues. It's uh, those experiencing homelessness on our streets. We've already mentioned robes. Uh, but I think Paul, because he's mentioned the gospel earlier on, he also was highlighting the urgent need to share that good news. What's our vision here at church? To see every life bear through. I knew you knew it. I knew you knew it. Um, we're here to see every life bear fruit for Jesus. How? By doing good works. 
by, by putting our faith into action, by going the extra mile for someone. We will extend the opportunity for others to enter in. Uh, we will grow and bear fruit and we give other people the opportunity to grow and bear fruit too. So Paul says, good works are excellent and profitable. But what's the opposite of that? What are the things that aren't excellent? What's, what are the things that are unprofitable? Well, verse 9, we see the answer. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable, worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. We touched on this earlier on, and it's come up in other weeks. Uh, But in the early church, there were a lot of people going around saying, you need to add this to the gospel. Like salvation is great, but there's also this thing over here. And one of the biggest ones was circumcision. People were going around saying, you need to be circumcised as well as accept the gospel. Today, uh, it's not necessarily circumcision, but it might be that, uh, you know, we might think we need spiritual gifts or we might need uh, a band at the front when we worship or we might have to read out of a certain translation. But Paul says, don't get sucked into those lies. Don't get sucked into it. Why? Because they are unprofitable and worthless. Keep the gospel the main thing and push on in your good works. And that's something that we need to take note of. In the passage, when the word you comes up, uh, it's singular. Obviously, it's a letter to Titus. But right at the end, at the end of verse 15, um, the you is plural. It's a letter to Titus, but it's meant to be read aloud. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be given out to all of the churches that Titus had oversight of. And that's why we're reading it today, because it's a message for us all. It's a message that we all need to hear It's not just for our leaders. It's not just for Jago and Jamie or for those who run our connect groups or for those who are on staff. It's for all of us. Do you know that the literal translation in the Greek of the word all means all. We are all to get involved in this. That is how we will bear fruit for Jesus, by keeping the gospel at the very center of what we do and by doing good works, by letting that transform us and those around us. And that's the beauty of this Jesus mold. It is a one-size-fits-all. It's something that was designed for you. And when we accept the gift of grace and we present that mold to our friends, we're going to see this world transformed. Amen? Church, we must keep the gospel central in our lives. We must let it transform us day by day. You know, when we become stale or even moldy that's when we have to come before God and say I need you reshape me Lord how do we change the culture by keeping those things there the gospel and the good works not the good works and then the gospel but the gospel and then good works so who is it today that 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 Jesus is calling you to share the gospel to who is it that he's calling you to go and help and to serve what is it that God has put in your hands today that he wants you to use for your glory what is it who is it where is it we are saved church for good works that's the charge that Paul gives to Titus keep the gospel teach it let it soak in be molded by Jesus and go on and do good works shall we stand
I'm waiting for the band when I come and join me. I wonder if here today uh, you hear the kind of the idea of the Jesus mold and that's something that really excites you, something that you haven't said yes to. And in a minute we're going to pray and I just want to extend that invitation for you to, to say, yes, I want to be remolded. I want to be reshaped. I want to be changed. It could be for the very first time or it could be for the hundredth time. I wonder if re-accepting that gift of the gospel is something that we all need to do right here today, right now, to let that change our lives. And I wonder if there were one or two of us who, when we kind of looked back at the false teachers who, who professed Christ as Lord but didn't match it up with their good works, I wonder if maybe that kind of raised a flag in, one of, in, in our minds that actually we're not doing the good works. We are not going out and putting others before us. And so I wonder if, just in a moment of quiet in prayer, if that's you, just I'd love you to raise your hand. If either one of those things, you want to be remolded, reshaped by God, or that you know that you've professing Christ as Lord, but not living in that. You're not living and walking those things out. If that's you, I just wonder, with all our eyes closed, and with, with, uh, in this moment of prayer, I wonder if you would just shoot up your hand and say, yep, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Come on, let's pray together. Father God, would you come now? You see these hands, you see these hearts. Thank you that when we open ourselves up to be transformed by you, you come in with such grace and love that you come, you wash us clean. There is renewal and regeneration through your spirit. Father, I pray for all of those who just raised their hands. I pray that you'd be doing a work in them, that they would be uh, accepting you again. They would be ready to go out outside of this space and to take you with them and to say that you are Lord and they're going to live that way. Father, I pray that you would be at the center of our lives, individually and corporately. And we pray that you would be the center of Clapham, the center of London and the center of this world. Holy Spirit, would you come and do a work in us, we pray.